All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podca- podcast. Excuse me, not podcast, Matt. Podcast. We're keeping this in. No edits, no, unless we, something bad happens, but we're keeping that in. MWWire.com is our website where you can start finding previews or top 49 non conference games out there by our staff, plus some other, some non non conference early season preview stuff going on, Matt. Um, you're spearheading a lot of that, but this week, preview number two Utah State Aggies. We're a freight train. You uh, you can't stop us now. No, we're going to go through. We did Colorado State last episode, so go download our podcast from there. If you missed it, just wherever, however you're listening to this podcast, just go back and like, oh, maybe I missed CSU. I didn't care. We gave some good nuggets for a good 75-minute podcast. So that was Team 1. We're doing this on Twitter for voting purposes, MWC Wire. So, Matt, we you said we're picking, or you actually did the pick in this first two and probably continue. You pick four new teams every time. So Utah State, who do they beat out this week? Um, okay. I'm trying to remember who I put in the poll for this one. I believe they oh, sorry. beat out uh, – I'm trying to remember who I put in. Air Force was one of them. I can't remember the other two off the top of my head. I think oh, I had okay. Wyoming in there, and I, I honestly don't remember. Okay. It's okay. But I'm it was, a, it was a decisive victory for, for our Aggies followers out there. Not shocking. Utah State, whenever we have a poll, it's the Aggies. <laughs> like, they are yeah. – one of the teams over that are typically... Air Force, San Jose State, and UNLV to answer your question. Gotcha. I thought you and for a minute, I thought you UNLV would get there because I'm very excited to talk about the Rebels. But yes, Utah State had 38% of the vote. Pretty close. Air Force, UNLV 20, San Jose State 23%. Mm-hmm. So, so when we talk about the Aggies, we like every time we do these preview podcasts, we talk about last year, stuff like that. What happened? They were um is this like the epitome of a Jekyll and Hyde team last year, the way they started the way they finished with their six and seven record and a bowl appearance? I mean, that's one way to put it because, you know, after opening the year with a, a, a harder than expected win over UConn, um, which we'll talk more about a little bit later, I'm sure. Um, you know, they dropped four straight, you know, some of them maybe not so surprising, you know, on the road at Alabama, on the road at a ranked BYU. Some of them definitely a little more surprising, like, you know, losing by four touchdowns to Weber State. Um, but to their credit, you know, the Aggies turned it around. They won five of their next six, you know, pulled some uh, relatively surprising upsets. You know, Air Force, I think, was one of the bigger upsets mm-hmm. uh, that any team in the Mountain West had last year. Uh, and then, you know, very nearly toppled Boise in the season finale before that game got away from them in the final minutes. And then... You know, I don't know how much you necessarily learn from a blah bowl loss, but it was definitely an interesting prelude to an offseason that has seen a lot of turnover. Um, you know, some out of their control, of course, you know, with graduations, you know, Brian Cobbs, Alfred Edwards moving on to the NFL, guys like that. Mm-hmm. But also a huge talent exodus through the uh through the transfer portal. And so it was definitely a roller coaster. You know, they, they they took several steps backwards. You know, they would take a few steps forward and then maybe another step or two backwards. But I think, do think there's a couple of things that sort of provide a little bit of color to that sort of simplistic judgment. One, they were 4-0 in games decided by eight or fewer points. So on the one hand, maybe they were a little bit lucky even to get to 6-7 and seven in a bowl game. But on the flip side... You know, one thing that came out of the spring prospectus that the program put together is, you know, of the 
of the players that are coming back for 2022, you know, many of them that we'll talk about uh, you know, during the course of this podcast, they had 15 starters miss 59 combined games last year. And yeah, 39 was, different Aggies made at least one start. That was tied for 14th most of any team in the country. So yeah, they're they're undergoing a huge you know upheaval on both sides of the ball. But as we've talked about here and there throughout the offseason to this point, the cupboard isn't bare. But maybe more so than a lot of other teams in the conference, there's a what you might call wider error bars, where it seems like the possibilities for what this year's Aggies team could look like is a lot less clear cut than it might be for some other teams that are more clearly contenders or you know teams that are sort of very clearly in a rebuild. Utah State sort of occupies that unknown in between, where it could go either way. Like they could they could slide further backwards. Um, you know, as evidenced by the point that you know they're projected 116th in preseason SP plus right now. So the expectations are relatively low, but they have enough coming back to make you think that they could make another run at a bowl game, if not more. We'll see. They're one of their big issues injuries was quarterback last year. They had yeah. uh, Logan Bonner, they had who they played, Blaine Dav- um Bishop Davenport, they play Andrew Peasley dragged his leg, or excuse me, Levi Williams, get the one you guys mixed up, dragging his leg to play in a game late in the season, Cooper Lega. That didn't help at all. But they just injuries just crushed him much. I think didn't Alfred Edwards miss a couple of games still on the offensive line, I believe. I think he's out for a little bit. I think he was one of the few regardless. guys who stayed healthy, if I remember correctly. I've tried to remember. Sure, maybe I just looked that up. But he's gone regardless. Doesn't matter. But the injury, but the main, the main people focus quarterback. They're rotating through guys, and like the Alabama loss doesn't matter. UNLV was reasonably surprising last year. BYU game was somewhat close, but that was like a Saturday Thursday turnaround. But yeah, not having consistent lineup because we've seen this with other teams. Like what have we said for Boise State the past couple years? Offensive line shuffling guys in and out due to inefficiency or injury and their running game is like not great. So keeping mm-hmm. guys healthy, whether it be quarterback or other positions is key. And yeah, they did go to bowl game, got their butt beat by Memphis at the first responders bowl. But they, obviously coach Ader, or the, the uh, coaches they have there, it's like, they, I don't know what to expect. That's my main thing. Like all these guys are gone. Like you mentioned the wide margin, like, Past couple years, Utah State's been like, yeah, we'll see. They bring in Logan Bonner for Arkansas State. They bring in all these coaches. They bring in new talent. They lose a lot of talent this year. They have injuries last year. The past couple years, I've honestly been like, I don't know how good this team is. And that's kind of hard to prognosticate or predict how good they could be this year, particularly with losing a couple coaches, um, losing all these players to the portal. I don't think they got the same return talent from what they lost because they lost so many players to Power 5 teams. To BYU is now upgraded. He lost guys to Baylor, Washington State, and all these other guys. And I don't know how Blake Anderson is going to handle it. It's going to be a. It's every school has this, and maybe Utah State was just on the slightly higher end of guys lost. Yeah. But... Well, it's not only that too. Like they also have two new coordinators working under Anderson as well. They do. They had to bring yeah. in a couple yeah. of guys. Yeah, Joe Coffin, the new DC. Kyle Sabalo, who was um yeah. I believe he was promoted to co-offensive coordinator, you know, coaching wide receivers. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's just as much you know turnover on the sidelines as there is on, you know, in the personnel that's on the field too. So maybe one, one useful sort of flashpoint question that it goes to you might sort of set the tone for 
for exactly what we're talking about. Because we always start talk about quarterbacks first, how much of a believer are you in Cooper Lega at this point? Very much so. We've seen him do enough. Like I, I know because here's the one thing I, I point at. Oregon State in the Kimmel Bowl two years ago. He had to come in off the bench and his I know his first play, oh amazing touchdown pass, which is like some bowl record for some some obscure thing. First play off the bench, touchdown pass, 60-something yards. Him coming in cold and playing well in that game was extremely promising. Like, hey, this guy could come into play. He knows what he's doing. And then last year, we all know it would be Logan Bonner being the quarterback. But then there's so many injuries for what they had. I'm a believer in what, what he can do. I'm trying to see where – do you? I don't have a funny mention to pull up. Do you have where we ranked Utah State's quarterback room under our staff uh, projections? I believe uh, – you know what? I don't have that off the top of my head, but I remember that it was a lot higher than I expected it to be. Because if we think about the quarterback now, because even the quarterback room has experience too, because you ha- you still still have Levi Williams, no more Logan Bonner, obviously trying to just gra- moved on graduation, and even uh, Davenport's still there, even though he may not play a ton. But we look at the quarterbacks they were, they were who are third, better. By the way, oh, they were third. That who was one and two? Boise and uh, Boise and San Jose State. I could see that because if we look at the whole league, <laughs> Hawaii's. Kind of right there. CSU, we're not sure. Clay, Clay Millen might be better than him just because of, uh, but freshman, I think experience helps. Wyoming, they're better than Air Force. We don't know. New Mexico, most likely, even though you're high on the Lobos bringing in their UAB guys to come over to play offense and coach outside of the ball. It That's not overly shocking to think they could be third. It's close, though. Like Clay Millen's close. Even I, I like San Diego State's situation at quarterback. It's what Jalen Maida did. There's potential for him to be really good in that in, um this upcoming season with the full year to play. So mm-hmm. it's not shocking. So they have a quarterback who could do things clearly who we have confidence in. He's been able to play and do well. It's just the health thing is kind of the big question mark, but it, I think it's probably more fluky than not. If you go through four quarterbacks in the season. I, I mean, I, I would agree, but I would add to that. The consistency was the one thing that really eluded him last year. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really nothing illustrates that better than his performance in the games that he played in that the Aggies won versus the ones that he played in that they lost. So, you know, and it was, I believe, five five wins, three losses, or five wins, five losses that it was counted for. Ten games, eight starts. So in the games that they counted as wins, and this is according to CFBstats.com, 65.3% completion rate. Pretty good. Yeah. 7.7 yards per attempt. Also pretty good. And maybe most importantly, for every interception he threw, he threw two touchdowns. So two to one TD and interception ratio. All pretty good. Yeah. But in the games that they lost, his completion rate dropped to 56%. His yards per attempt dropped from 7.7 to 5.7. And his touchdowns interception ratio flipped. You know, for every touchdown, he threw two interceptions. And you know, one thing that really stood out to me in my research for this particular episode is the realization that the Aggies, regardless of whoever was under center, really liked to attack down the field. They liked to stretch the field with their pass catchers. You know, all three of the guys, Bonner, Bishop Davenport, and Lagat, who had at least 50 pass attempts last year, according to Pro Football Focus, they all averaged at least 11 yards and on average depth of, uh, of per attempt or average depth of target, excuse me. So 
I do think like if they continue to maintain that kind of aggression, I'm with you that he has the talent and he's got the moxie to be able to create with his legs. You know, he had a few rushing touchdowns as well. Um, you know, after adjusting for sacks, he averaged about four, like four and a quarter yards per carry. So I think that he has it in him to be a pretty good quarterback. But, you know, doing it week in and week out is sort of that last big challenge. And that, I think, more than a lot of things is what's going to separate whether or not a team like Utah State can compete for a bowl or not. Because if he remains uneven, then that leaves a lot of question marks behind him. Because you know, as much as we like to talk about Levi Williams, for example, he he's, what, three, four years into his career now. And yeah. he's still more promised than production at this point. You know, we hardly saw him at all last year. He was and, the third you know, that, year, that, that potato bowl performance that he had with Wyoming well, a couple of years ago. But again, that was just one game. Yeah. And behind He's... those two, now you have, you know, two new quarterbacks. Because, of course, Davenport was one of the, the many Aggies who transferred. You know, mm-hmm. Chase Tuatagaloa and McKay Hillstead. Neither of them have seen the field ever. And so, you know, if Liga and or Williams ends up getting you know hit by the injury bug again, they could very easily find themselves in the exact same situation that sort of threatened to derail them last year. Yeah, and also doesn't help losing key wide receivers, Calvin Tyler Jr. running back. You mentioned Alfred Edwards offensive line. We already did. Like they lose a good amount of talent on offense. Like Cobb, Brian Cobbs was their big deep. It was their Cobbs their deep threat receiver. Mm-hmm. He's gone. They have Trevor on there, but he's like a shorter slot type of guy. So maybe that deep, um, which you mentioned, their average depth of attempt or target, whatever the yeah. term was for deep ball, essentially, that may not necessarily be there. I don't have the confidence, at least at the moment, for it to be there for losing guys that were catching those deep passes. So And, and then maybe spot? more so than anything, priority number one, eliminate turnovers. Yeah, that's... Because their, their interception rate obvious. last year, do you want to take a guess as to what their interception rate was last year? Uh, is ten percent a high number? Uh, I mean, that's about double what it was. Uh, Five point two percent, but but that is high. What that? I try to think what that number equates. Like to. For, for the sake I, of comparison, when they won the conference championship two years ago, their interception yeah. rate was two point nine percent, which is which in itself is still like slightly high. But you know that's definitely one of those areas where Laga is going to have to improve. You know, no killer mistakes, or at a minimum. You were killer mistakes. Yeah. I think they have the guy to do it. Like, look, I was a good quarterback. It's just what's around him. That's what we need to look at. Because health-wise, exactly. I, we can't we can't predict health-wise. It's like, well, you just can't. That's like, what, what, what are you going to say? Guy twists his ankle, does this. And there's nothing we could say that would be that, to be confident, like, injury-wise. It would just happen. So, yeah. if Lagos health, like, we're all, that's what we're all predicting here, projecting here. If these guys are healthy, here's what they expect to do. If Cooper Lagos healthy, I expect him to be like a top half quarterback in the conference. Like that three number is pretty high, but I can interchange him with Braden Traeger, with Clay Millen, with San Diego State, Jalen Maiden. I could put him in that range, but he's no worse than the top half quarterback. Mm-hmm. He might need to be better than that for them to uh, proceed to a bowl appearance, but he's at least a, again, slightly above average quarterback in the Mountain West. And that's that's good. That's maybe what they need. It's going to be interesting to see one way or another. So what do we want to say about the running backs? Okay, lose Calvin Tyler, Calvin Tyler Jr., excuse me. All right, is it? 
I always get it wrong. Is it Tyler or Turner? Why do I always get this confused up? They're exact same. That's because Calvin Turner Jr. played for Hawaii. I got it right the first time, Matt. It's just it's so similar. I'm like, I always question myself. Even if I say it, I should be confident in that. So he's gone, and he was a few injuries himself past couple years. He's one of the best running backs in the conference, over a thousand yards. Um, I guess they're gonna go with Robert Brooks. He promised he had almost about 350 yards and kind of fits what Tyler did. If he's a similar back, maybe I could see a possible 800 yard rushing attack from him. But it all comes back with all these new guys, offensive line again. And Brooks has had just limited experience. Is he going to be like, can he take that next step to get 600 more yards? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely, I think, going to be more of a committee than it has been mm-hmm. over the last couple of years with Tyler Jr. If only because, like, you know, replacing him one for one is going to be a tall ask for anybody. Uh, and especially since, you know, Briggs, you know, physically speaking, is very much like the opposite of of someone like Calvin Tyler Jr. on the on the Utah State roster is only listed mm-hmm. at five six and 175 yeah, pounds. He's a a box. <laughs> but they did but they have brought in at least one interesting candidate that I've got my eye on who could Who's... be a Tyler Jr. type contributor. And that's Davon Booth. You know, from Cerritos College out here in California, you know, Juco guy. 1442 yards last year 6.5 yards per attempt eight touchdowns you know one of the better running backs anywhere in the state in the junior college ranks and he's exactly the kind of guy who at 510 and 200 pounds could step in and be that Tyler Jr. type of guy yeah it makes sense for Briggs him to be a committee back there because 353 yards is nothing to like last year was fine but when you have a guy who gets over 1100 yards what's like, you know, I mean, what's the point? Like, that's what you're going mm-hmm. with. And if, if, if Booth can keep that production in somewhat similar fashion with Utah State, they like Briggs has been there, big experience. He knows what's going on. But I do like him. Like, under Juco to FBS is a pretty big jump, regardless, because there's times where, oh, yeah. this guy's the number one ranked Juco prospect. He's like, not all that great. So, well, I think that can be more than, more than the raw total. I think what's more instructive is the fact that Briggs, on a per carry basis, actually outdid Tyler Jr. last year. Hey, it's quite 4.7 to 4.4. And, and if he can maintain that, and if, and if Booth can be at least a, a, a moderate net positive, you know, that duo right there could take a lot of pressure off of Laga, who, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, is also a, key, a pretty astute runner himself when he when he has the space to do so. Yeah, this is going to be an area like all these positions with new everybody's new except for Lagan. He even if he's kind of new, like he's not mm-hmm. an entr- entrenched starter. So Briggs comes in to start. Jugo transfers come in to start. New offensive lineman, not really an experienced yeah. receiving group is coming back. This whole offense is basically what technically what Trovon and then uh, Lagan's not even technically a starter. And Josh Sturzer on the t- tight end. Like they do have two pass yeah, catcher believe, back. Uh, pass catchers according back, to the but... spring prospectus, I think they t- they tallied four starters back on offense. Okay, not many. Yeah. And the skill and we'll say to do, but receiving group might be their most uh, experienced back with Sturzer and Vaughn, but Vaughn's mm-hmm. not a guy going downfield. Like he's not that type of guy. But they no, do I mean, he's, uh, a, bring... he's a slot guy. Yeah, but yeah, I think gonna... you know, to to his credit, I think he might be you know one of, if not the top slot guy anywhere in the Mountain West. So at least they have that going for him. Um, yeah, get, you know, get him to... a quick pass. Yeah, 
Yeah, 56 catches, 624 yards, five touchdowns, and maybe most importantly for a guy who, who occupies that role, 3.5% drop rate, which was the third lowest in the Mountain West. Well, catch everything you wave, right? And I think more broadly, you know, the, the challenge for the Aggies, at least on paper right now, is it does seem like their options on the inside are, are much more evident than they are on the outside. Because on the one hand, you know, they have Bond. They also bring back Kyle Van Leeuwen, who, you know, played three games last year before he was knocked mm-hmm. out for the rest of the season with an injury. You know, they brought in Micah Davis from Juco ranks two years ago. He was averaging over 22 yards to catch at Air Force. But yeah, I, I mean, and, you know, that that trio is probably going to hold down the one or two positions where they, they go three or four wide. That's no problem. Who's going to play outside? You know, who's going to replace those targets that went to Cobbs, that went to Justin McGriff and, and, and guys like that last year? Yeah. And, and to all that new, effect, it's all you know, new guys. Have, That's the problem. Yeah. And the, yeah. And to that effect, you know, they have internal candidates who are going to be expected to take on larger roles. I'm thinking guys like, you know, Otto Tia, who is at least on, in terms of the, 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 the receivers listed on the current roster sort of a singularly physical guy you know he's he's the tallest receiver listed uh on the roster 6'4 220 i have to imagine that in itself was going to get him a very long look to to win a job in fall camp beyond that, okay, that you know jalen royals played sparingly last year uh colby bowman you know played sparingly at stanford he came in through the transfer portal but again, you know, they have options here. It's just, you know, how they sift through those options and how well some of those newcomers step up is going to be you know, uh, another narrative watch. And then on top of that, you know, tight end hasn't really been featured much over the last couple of years. But it could make a comeback because they do have both Josh Sturzer and Brock Lane back for, for 2023. So those guys too could, you know, step up and maybe see 40 targets a piece or something like that and, and give the Aggies the sort of big physical targets over the middle, which is another wrinkle that could make Lagos life a lot easier under center. Yeah. That's going to be helpful. Whoever can step up and be that guy. Cause I think what they have with, uh, with Vaughn there, like you mentioned the short stuff, that's good. Returning tight end giant wide receiver. He said six, four, two twenty. those type of things will, hopefully give them the talent and the uh, scheme to be able to use all three of those different type of, well, there's more than three, but those specific three players mm-hmm. or type of players, it's kind of a difference what you can do on this team. Like the tight end, they can step up. Okay. That's middle of the field, second level kind of, because you got Vaughn underneath. And it's not in whoever's good. I think the main thing is like the outside receiver. She's going to be their typical, like they're not non-slot receivers. So the far, the guys, the two guys, two, three guys are going the far side. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to be possession guys? Are they going to be able to go deep? Like, Micah Davis, could maybe he's that deep threat guy. I know it's different. I was going to say, we know we know he can be a deep threat guy. That's exactly well, what he did for the Falcons. That's what it'll be, but it's also a different type of offense. He was a deep threat because they suck the safeties and corners in. Yeah, yeah. I, he has clear talent, but he's not. no way he's getting 22 yards to catch. But he's a guy who has a potential where Air Force, who is given a little benef- 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 benefit of the doubt or not, eh, just the way the offense worked. He was the catches he were gonna make were gonna be typically downfield catches or sucking the safety where like a post pattern up the where you go about what 10 yards and cut to the middle of the field mm-hmm. and catch him 15 yards downfield. That may not be there as often just because of the way Air Force or excuse me, what Utah State does with offense, but he has potential and can get those routes. It's just how what how else he going to adjust to a different type of play type of play. And yeah, 
he's a deep guy, but he's their best option for a deep guy. But he's uh, clearly he's not getting twenty plus yards with the traditional pro offense here with Aggies with the Aggies run. Yeah, and you know, kind of shifting to the offensive line, you know, basically everything was said about the pass catchers also applies to this unit too, because they were you know one of the more experienced units anywhere in the Mountain West last year. And and going into 2023, at least on paper, they're starting over with four starters. You know, Wade Meacham's sort of a low holdover. He had over 900 snaps last year. But at the same time, again, you can't mistake that with an overall lack of experience because some of the players that they have, presumably stepping into some of those roles, have seen a lot of playing time over the last two, three seasons. And I think, you know, most evidently, you know, guys like Balapule Alo, who you know, has seen time at both center and guard could feasibly start at either position. He has over a thousand snaps over the last three seasons. You know, same with Cole Motes. You know, he's played right tackle for the most part over the last two years. He has over a thousand snaps as well. I think of those two, Motes is sort of an underrated X factor because while he's seen a lot of playing time, He's also still got a lot of growth left to do too. Oh, in two seasons, he's also given up nine sacks as well. Hmm. So I think you know they're going to be expecting a lot of him, of Alo, and you know same as with the pass catchers and and with the running backs as well. You know new guys are going to be you know new arrivals. You know like Ralph Frias, who transferred in from Arizona State, could step up in a role. Wyatt Bowles, who's seen most of his playing time on special teams over the last couple of years step up one role so there's a lot of moving pieces here too and it's going to be really important for them to try and hit the ground running if they can if only because like you know for a lot of things that were sort of up and down last year they were pretty good overall at opening holes like in terms of average yard line yards per carry utah state was actually a top 40 team last year even if like the standard yards per carry average doesn't necessarily indicate that they were also very good about keeping defenders from getting into the backfield um, with a with a 14.9% stuff rate. That was 26th in the country. I think one potential area of concern if they can't get it cleaned up is the fact that Lagos struggled a lot. And maybe by extension, all the quarterbacks struggled a lot in more obvious passing down situations. Um, you know, they, as a team, they allowed a 7.1% sack rate, which is 83rd. On passing downs in particular, which is, you know, as you might expect, it's a, I'm trying to remember the exact uh, definition of passing downs. It's like, you know, uh, I believe second and seven or more, third and third downs, fourth downs. They were 118th is what I'm saying overall. Uh, 12.1% sack rate in those situations. So improving on that while also integrating a number of new bases into this into the offensive line rotation that's going to be huge for them how well they sort of uh you know cement that yeah it's gonna be it's like the, it's dumb cliche offensive line wins it for you it loses it for you in the trenches so yes protect the protect the goss simple protect open holes for running backs those type of things it's going to be they do have a couple of young guys pro- projected on the two deep as well a couple of um freshman retro freshmen yeah out there, so there's that that could maybe they got the talent to beat up the older guys or guys are more experienced. It's just kind of lame to say there's a bunch of unknowns, but there are a bunch of unknowns for this whole offense except for a couple of guys. Yeah, I mean they and, have seven or eight guys who could feasibly start. It's just you know the reality that's that good. 
five five of them at least are probably going to be relatively new and stepping into much bigger, more prominent roles. Yeah, it's how can they accept that new responsibility to be like you're the guy you're starting at left guard or right tackle, whatever it may be, or you're a guy to help lead our team. They need to find yeah. if they're if there are seven, eight guys out there, they need to find the guy who's gonna step up and take advantage and be the starter and play 80% of the snaps, whatever it may be. And when your number two guy gets it, if he's that near in the same neighborhood, that's not a big, not a big drop off. They need to find out who can be a leader, who can step up, who's gonna come in and knock the other guy on his butt to give a big uh running lane for Briggs or like Kupla got the extra half second or even 0.2 seconds to make that throw if he rolls out for half for a moment or takes a step in the pocket. And the offensive line knocks the guy trying to get him from behind. Mm-hmm. That's what needs to happen. It's just we'll see what what Coach Anderson decides to do in the offensive line, and we'll know they play Iowa Week One, and that we'll get that game. That'll be a very big test going up against one of the better defenses in the country, and we'll know pretty quickly where this lot we should. It's not obviously an Alabama type game where they get their butt kicked. It's a game where yes, they're outmatched talent wise, but they're not literally unstoppable. They're a very good team. And they'll help Aggie fans us kind of know, okay, here's kind of a glimmer of what to expect. And you know, if and, they have depth, that's good. And ironically, as we sort of you know turn our eyes to the defense, a lot of what you just said also true of the defensive line. Yeah. Which was uh, you know, it took a while for the defensive front to come around last year. But, you know, it was a unit, you know, a front six, a front seven that was pretty strong by season's end. It did a few things pretty well. You know, they ended up finishing 40th overall in, in sack rate, 7.3%. You know, a lot of that production came in the second half of the season. And they were also 27th in stuff rate, 56th in opportunity rate. So they weren't letting, you know, a lot of big plays on the ground. But again, you know, this was a unit that was hard hit by the transfer portal in particular. Daniel Kuzesiak's in Cincinnati. Patrick Joyner Jr., I believe, is at Kansas. Byron Vaughn's at Baylor. So they're starting over in some respects. But again, you know, same as you know, with guys like Motes and Allo on the offensive line, they've got guys to at least make part of this unit be a lot more stable, especially if they can avoid the injury bug here, too. And I and I look at the interior in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, with your your starting duo of Hale Motuapuaka and Bokesia Vakauda. Both those guys, you know, played pretty well last year. Both guys got dinged up here and there, missed a game or two last year. But behind them, you know, they, they also bring back Seni Tuiaki, who, you know, saw a lot of playing time, you know, four games before he missed the rest of the year with an injury. Well, Miley is back. You know, between that quartet, they could be pretty solid on the inside. I think. Well, Halley might he might want to be the best defensive lineman in the conference this year. He has all conference yeah. potential playing the defense tackle. So you have him yeah. there, and it's goes without saying, stay healthy, don't miss games like all these guys do for what here and there. Like he could be literally one of the best guys on the in the whole conference in that position. And if you have yeah. him opening things up, or you know, it is low, he's getting doubled here. The other guy could step up and make a big play behind him. Like if that's the case with MJ Telfisi at middle a linebacker there. Those those two combinations, those two guys are one of the better guys on their front seven. And you mentioned with uh Pokasay, like these guys with what you tell like we just say it does defensively. I know it's hard, it's like, oh, they gave up 50 freaking points to Alabama, 30 something to Weber State. I think it's 30 something, maybe it's more. But point being overall, 
it's just difficult to know because the second half, okay, it's New Mexico, but only 10 points to Mexico, 13 to Colorado State. Their defense needs to give up fewer points, clearly. So it's not saying it's all rosy if these guys step up and play well. Defense was not great last year overall. And no, returning I mean, only, what, seven starters? But I mean, point-wise, like, they're giving up a lot of points. And some of it's the offense giving the ball early and defense to play I mean, the best to, to be fair, you know, in, in terms of, like, you know, net points per drive, net available yards percentage, neither side of the ball really stood out for the Aggies last year. Like, points per drive, for example, they were 92nd on offense and 95th on defense. Uh, you know, available yards percentage, they were actually ahead on defense. They were 81st versus 91st on offense. So, I mean, I, I take your point. And we're great. But I, I think good. it's important to keep it in context. Well, it is. That's that's what a 6-6 six six team is. They're 6-7. and seven. They're just below average. Yeah. But, so, but I do think, like, it, the most important thing is, yeah, like, the, if the interior is set, if the interior can stay healthy, then great. Who's going to set the edge, though? Yeah, they return what one linebacker MJ Tafusi mentioned. That's about it. Who's returning with exper- a lot of talent? Like projected well, like, starters. Who's yet. gonna be that? Who's gonna be that? That new Byron Vaughns. Yeah, or AJ Vaughn is a tackle machine. Like those guys. Those are two of the big guys, biggest guys. Austin Portals in right now. We don't know. It's gonna be again. Who wants to? Who wants to grab it and be the guy and make plays early? If the starting yeah, and, positions aren't set yet, so like take over. Yeah, and again, you know, they have. They have some players who, who saw at least uh, a tiny bit of playing time last season. You know, guys like you know John Ward, you know, Inoka Miguel, um, you know, those types of players. One other candidate, another Juga guy, who could potentially be the answer there is Keon Sloan, who comes in from Northern California, American River College. 12 sacks, 24 TFLs as a Juco defender last year. That's good. I like that production. That'll play. Like if, if, Definitely. He could get, if he could get half of that as a as a as a newcomer for on, on the Aggies defensive line, mm-hmm. that could be huge for them. But I, I but I do think it is more likely that they'll be counting upon sort of a team effort to really um, try and make up the difference that they're losing to the transfer portal. Because you know they brought in also you know, Blaine Spires from Bowling Green, um, you know Adam Tomsick, who redshirt freshman, you know didn't see any playing time last year. He could step up. So again, they have options here, but I think whoever steps up to you know set the edge as a defensive end and how and additionally how productive they can be, how disruptive they could be, is going to go a long way toward determining this team's ceiling. Yeah, but because the secondary is pretty set for it, they have a much one of their another area where it's pretty good returning talent. But mm-hmm. it's something where man, they gotta find production up front and just kind of attack the quarterback. Like I said these guys play other JUCO other places, they, they could keep, keep that production going. Because think about who that when they who they play in the conference, like okay, what do you want? What what are they playing? Who are they going up against? Because remember, also we probably will mention this every episode and we'll get tired of. It. Remember, the divisions are gone, so they're just mm-hmm. playing whomever. The schedule is basically similar, but you just want to look like when they play Boise State, they play Air Force, they play the same teams, they play Wyoming. What will this defensive front look like, or how could they be uh, productive against certain teams? Like mm-hmm. we don't necessarily know what their overall strength will be, because you know when you play Air Force, clearly a running game. When you play, say Boise State, they'll be running a game plus a good quarterback, receivers. We'll see where they're at. They're good, but it may not be great. How, what does the defense do against those certain teams? They play UConn. They made the bullying last year. 
there's a close victory over them. Like, what, what's it going to look like when they play James Madison, who was surprised everybody move up, moving up for their first level SBS? They got Fresno State, who likely will be throwing the ball around. CSU will throw the ball a lot. Um, well, San Jose State will throw the ball around. So it might be a lot of secondary and pass rush, where I think what would be the mo- help for the most successful season for them because they mm-hmm. play some pretty good quarterbacks within the conference. I do think what they have going for them, you know, you mentioned AJ Long Pachon a minute ago. You know, losing him, of course, is going to sting. You know, multi-year starter, very productive. You know, between him and Kaleo Neves, like it, it's it, it sucks to lose them both. But I do think, like beyond Tafisi, it's the situation there isn't maybe as dire as it first appears. It's sort of like the running backs in that regard, where you know, yeah, having to replace Calvin Taylor Jr. is going to be tough. But Robert Briggs flashed here and there and, and, and could very easily step up and be a, a strong contributor. I think that's also true of a guy like Max Alford, who you know was was starting for this team down the stretch last year. And like Tafisi, you know, both ended up proving themselves to be, I would say, quietly pretty solid run defenders, if nothing else. You know, among Mountain West linebackers in terms of like their uh, pro football focus is run defense grade. Um, you know, Tafisi and Alford were three and four in the conference overall, right around right around 80. And so I think you know, you know, Tafisi when he was healthy was productive. You know, eight only eight games, but he led the team in tackles per game and had nine TFLs. You know, Alford two, only four TFLs, but all of those came down the stretch in the last five games of the year. So I do think that between those two, you know, they also brought in Gavin Barfield from Washington State. They don't need a ton of depth there since they only play two linebackers at a time anyway. And I do think like if Tafisi is back to 100% and as productive as ever, if Alford can build upon what we saw from him down the stretch last year in November, they will probably be fine, I think, in that regard. You think so? I am. Maybe. I think so. I mean, I, I'm not going to call for like either of them to be like an all conference type of guy, but I do. <laughs> I, I mean, I I don't see any like potential like glaring weak links. Let's put it that way. Gotcha. Okay. So what about the secondary? They bring back three starters. Um, Ike Larson, who depending on depending on what you count, isn't it? Wasn't Ike Larson two, a starter two last year? Two or three, two and a half. I think he was also he was also starting down the stretch here and there. He was he and Dominic Tatum were who. Another Aggie who hit the transfer portal. We're splitting time in the second half of the season. Okay, they've him with Johnny Carter or Michael on a while. You back there? No, Carson. Johnny Carter's actually in the portal. What? I didn't say Johnny. It's Carter. Hit, it's said, him and Michael. Oh, and Johnny Carter are the returning starters. These magazines go to print too early, and I can't keep track of everybody. I apologize for <laughs> not knowing that Johnny Carter was in the portal. I'm like, what? I I trust some of this stuff, and it's this is the portal era. I, really. I forgive stuff. you. I think we keep track of this stuff. You keep track. I would assume when magazine magazine season comes around, but I'm betting they went to print probably right when spring practice ended. But I do know this. I do know Ike Larson is a quite quite the player. Because there was some stat last year. Didn't he have, what was it, some with pass breakups or something that was like off the charts for a freshman or something last year? I don't remember exactly what well, I mean, it was. he was, in, in terms of overall grade, he was the number one defensive back in the conference last year. Maybe, that's, maybe uh, it's know, a PFF 80, 89.6 PFF grade. Like he is a guy. If he takes the next step, which what he did last year and gets more playing time, he could be. I, I 
I mean, we haven't done all conference stuff yet, but there's a chance he could be in that category for one of the best defenders in the conference, which he already was last year, based on the grade you mentioned from PFF. From what what he does and what they have around, it's an area where being safety, you just kind of being safety is a cool position, Matt. You could just get to hang back out there. It's like, ooh, I'm gonna catch a ball here. I don't think always have to guard a guy directly. He had what six uh pass to t- pass uh, defended, what five uh, two breakups and four ints last year. Four ints mm-hmm. and not playing a ton. Like imagine he getting full t- full time access back there playing that secondary. And, and we mentioned the teams that throw the ball: San Jose State, CSU, Boise, Fresno. He's the uh looks like he I believe he's the le- return leading returner of interceptions in the conference because Cam Lockridge he transferred from Fresno right or is he still around I forget. No, he's there. Okay, so okay, he's, so he's second behind Cam Lockridge. There are so many transfer guy, portal guys on all his team. So him being that guy who has gets the ball and can make interceptions, and he only played eleven games and didn't play full time. There's a like, there's a chance he's gonna be that main guy back there where teams are gonna want to avoid this part of the field. And yeah, his numbers. Hopefully they get better. But if you're that guy who's like, hey, we don't want to throw that area, and they go to somewhere else that takes away part of the field. It's old Deion Sanders thing. I'll take away a third of the field or whatever. And do those type of shenanigans that he likes to do out there when he's playing for the Falcons and Cowboys Niners. But having a guy that can do that, that's that's huge, specifically with the team. Like we've mentioned, like if they're linebacker core, it's like, well, it has depth. Maybe there's talent there. We don't know. But this guy is a clear, experienced player who only played one year of college football. He plays his next year, gets a full camp, gets a full season, just more experienced. He's going to be a player out there who's going to challenge for one of the top spots in the conference. And that's Huge for defensive returns, a couple of starters. Now, see, here's my question, though. Ooh, what do you got? Yeah, and which is not to say it's like a counter argument, but it is sort of uh, it sort of speaks to the the reality that not all progress is linear. So, my question is: True, is he this year's CJ Baskerville? Why not? Because, and the reason I pose the question that way is because you know, two years ago. You know, Baskerville was in a similar kind of situation where he broke into the starting lineup in the, in, in the second half of the year for San Diego State back in yeah. 2021, played at a very high level. You know, at the end of the year, he was fourth overall in in, P, in PFF grading uh, among Mountain West defensive backs. And he played the entire season for the Aztecs and he was good, but he wasn't as good as he was in that small sample size the year before. Which is all to say that, you know, it's one thing to perform at a high level over 240 snaps, which is what Larson did last year. That's just what and I'm it's another thing to do it over, for example, the 900 snaps plus that Hunter Reynolds played for the Aggies I last would, season. I would say this would be, in, like, if you multiply by five, is he getting 20 interceptions? Not a chance, clearly. <laughs> but it's like... I mean, I'm just saying, back, like, you know, it's, it's a small sample size, and yeah, he played very well despite the circumstances. Or, or given the circumstances, rather, but you know, if he's going to be counted on to be a full-time starter, you know, that's going to mean raising your game week after week and taking on a full-time load that he did not have last year. So, if he was a starter and had these same stats, he'd still be one of the better players in the conference. But I mean, I'll also say, like, if if he ends up having the year that Reynolds did as a safety last year, that's still going to be pretty good. I'm sure that Utah State fans everywhere will take it. Oh, definitely. I just it's. Yeah, it's difficult because Reynolds had three picks, two seven pass breakups, ten defended passes. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, yeah. if he's not saying, yeah, because that's but I do real, think really at good. a minimum, you know, he and Onyon will at least give them a couple of reliable kind of known quantities. Onyon had an interception and eleven pass breakups last year. Beyond that, question mark. You yeah. know, for for in, for instance, like how how effective will Anthony Switzer be coming off an ACL injury that wiped out his 2022 season? Um, you know, he has familiarity with Blake Anderson from their time together at Arkansas State. You know, he was one of the ones who, who followed Anderson um, from Jonesboro to Logan. You know, he'll probably take on that striker position that Neves held down last year. And then beyond that, you know, who's going to hold down the other? cornerback spot is it going to be someone like you know john martin is it going to be you know a newcomer like you know al ashford you know Xavier Steele hold over you know and and you know same thing who's going to line up opposite larson at the other safety spot it could be a guy like jafar strong you know Devin die both of whom are also new juco, juco arrivals i think more than anything this is the one area that of the team that i'm most worried about Hmm. Because it wasn't as if they were great last year either. Oh no, no, they gave up over four hundred yards of passing, four hundred yards per game last year in the defense. It was not good. I mean, I think it's not necessarily like the most accurate, you know, thing to point to, but I do think it's telling that they gave up no, they gave up more passing touchdowns than any other team in the conference last year. They gave up twenty-seven. It's not good. It's not great. No, you would. And, you would think with the co- and, guys and back. now they're doing, and now they're having to break in so many new athletes on that side of the ball. It's a really big ask for me to like want to place a ton of faith in them to figure it out. Well, they have a couple guys. Like Larson's a good starting point, and again, it's also difficult. Like we, like I said again, look at the passing teams. The teams that pass through, they're going up against. So. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be interesting to see what they can do. So, ah, I think Ark, Ark, I, I wonder if you're underselling Ike Larson a little bit, but it's also like Briggs. Is he gonna come in and that like yards per carry um project to triple the more attempts? Mm-hmm. Can he keep that same production going while adding more carries and more wear and tear? DB is clearly different. You're not getting banged up as much, so maybe it kind of can. But I. I think he, he's a good start out there. He's like legit, very, very good. But like you mentioned, Switzer, Jordan Drew, all these other guys out there, like Xavier Still, maybe it's like they have a look. If, if our lads is correct, I know they do a pretty good job. They have a total of six DB transfers, four on the on the two deep. Mm-hmm. That's may not be great. And one, oh, sorry, one true freshman, I guess, there as well on there. So sorry. One, subtract one of those uh transfer guys, but it's a group where new starters looks like inexperience at least with the Utah State team itself, not necessarily inexperience overall. Like Jalen Martin's mm-hmm. a redshirt senior transfer, so he's played a bit, or at least had. So it's an area where this whole defense is it had issues last year. So like I could say simple, oh, it can't be worse than last year. Well, don't maybe don't just bank on that, but actually have players out there who can do something. And you can mention new coordinators, all these transfers. Like, if you ever look at our lads, they put blue and returning guys, and orange are transfers or newcomers. I believe that that's accurate here. They literally have their defense is almost 50 50 going through like their four deep on some of these guys, maybe 60 40 guys on the team last year to new guys. So, 
that tells you a few things right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. I want to say it can't be worse than last year because it's a simple answer, but I think they'll be a little bit better than last year, and maybe just that little bit better will help them improve that much. Like instead, instead of giving up twenty-seven passing touchdowns, you mentioned it's down to twenty. That's a lot of points. They're not giving up if it's forty-nine different points right there. That's true. So, what do you got for special teams? What's uh, what's there we should be no- we should notice with them? With their- I mean, the upside is they could they could feel pretty good about their punting situation. Stephen constantly has improved his yards per punt average two years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to replace Connor Cole's at kicker, though. It's definitely going to be a wide open competition. I, I would have to think that Anderson's going to take as much time as he can to make a decision. Because yeah, you know, they have holdovers like Elliot Nimrod, who's you know handled kickoff duties for the past year or two. They also brought in William Testa from New Mexico Military Institute. You know, only sixty-five percent on field goal tries in all at the JUCO ranks. Um, I would guess that he's the likeliest candidate to win the job, though. Either way, you know, Col- Coles was pretty solid in his tenure, you know, with the Aggies, and so it may not be like the most important player to be replaced. You know, you're still talking about a kicker who, you know, made 70% of his field goal tries last year, 69% the year before, and was you know, really integral to the team's rise to the top. So, you know, having that reliable, you know, that reliable guy who can give you three points in a situation when you really need it, which, you know, may not necessarily be all that often considering the Utah State hasn't typically been shy about going for it on fourth downs. They actually tied for first in the conference last year with 34 fourth down attempts. So maybe kicker isn't the most important issue to resolve, but they are definitely going to want to make sure they have one at some point, obviously. Well, we get, yes, part of the game is you got the foot part, Matt. Foot, ball. Yeah, kick. they just want to make sure. I, I'm <laughs> guessing that they'll take as much time as possible to make sure that they found the most reliable option. Well, we'll see what happens when they put Iowa over the season. So, anything else to mention about schedule, the then? That's. That's what we're doing here. Yes. All right, let's do it. Week one on the road to play the Iowa Hawkeyes, FS1, 10 a.m. local kickoff. Hey, at least it's not Big Ten Network. We can get that out of the way, right? That's good. That's yeah. um, is that, that's more Iowa than Utah State. Um, make all the jokes one about Iowa with Brian Ferentz and everything back there. His contract where, what, 25 and a half points a game he has to average to keep his job, essentially, his KPIs, whatever you want to call those, and mm-hmm. to keep, keep things going. Their defense is legit, clearly. Very, very, very good. One of the best in the country. Offense, we all know, we make jokes. They won games like 6-2, to two, it seems like, last year. But when these two teams played last season, kind of felt Utah State hanging around, but this, it's, um, oh, no, they played Nevada last year, not Utah State. I apologize. That, I was thinking of that. Was it a game that ended, what, 4 a.m. Central time? Is that what it yeah. was? With all those lightning and thunderstorms? But with it being the opener, I think Iowa's going to want to come out and kind of prove people wrong and want to score some points. I think. Is that a team that wants to score points now? Is that what they're going to want to do? Because going to Utah State, they likely will be able to score a decent amount of points. I mean, I have to think so. I was trying to think of a way to describe Iowa football in a really concise way. And what I settled upon is like watching Iowa football, which I, I did a couple times last year, is sort of like watching Children of Men. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty bleak. But dang, if they don't play some defense, dude. They they play amazing defense. And that's where 
Kupala Ga, Briggs, new um Terrell Vaughn, new guys on not those are not necessarily newish guys, but the guys in offense are gonna need to figure something out and try yeah. to make plays. Like I could see Iowa scoring 24 points and winning like 24 to six. Or it's or like that's, what, that's what they've typically done against uh I, I think I mentioned this when we did our non-conference countdown uh of a ranking of games. You know, I was three and zero against the Mountain West uh, in recent years, but they haven't scored more than twenty-seven points in any of those games. Do you know I know how bad Spencer Spencer Petrus Pet- Pet- is? He gonna be their quarterback? Is he the guy? Uh, you know what? For once, he might not be because the Injury. Hawkeyes did bring in Michigan transfer Cade McNamara. Oh, that's right, Cade McNamara. Okay, good. And, because and he's, I actually, don't, I don't, he's actually not the only Michigan transfer that they brought in. You know, they also brought in tight end Eric All from the Wolverines as well. Because that's good for the quarterback. Because Petrus only had five touchdowns last year. He was sacked no, that, thirty-two that dude, times. That dude is bad. I just saying, but he was sacked thirty-two times. Like the Michigan quarterback, they had the thing last year where they're switching back and forth when they played CSU Hawaii because Harbaugh's like, all right, it's kind of our preseason. So mm-hmm. having him in town, massive upgrade. Because those guys were were close when they're decided they were a playoff team. Michigan was the past year, and they couldn't mm-hmm. decide who was their quarterback. To beat Ohio State, he was there going back and forth. Like, okay, you're the guy, you're not the guy. And so bringing in him will be amazing for his offense for an upgrade. They do run the ball reasonably well, so that's something as well. Like to do, like to control the ball and stuff. And Caleb Johnson was a bright spot as a freshman last year with uh, what do you have seven hundred, almost eight hundred yards, six mm-hmm. touchdowns. So they do have a. They do move the ball. Well, they have the potential to move the ball. It's just that they had so many turnovers, were not explosive at all last year. Mm-hmm. And this could be a chance where Utah State's defense comes in and can keep the game close. They're going to have to if they're going to win this game. Like the defense Maybe, is going to have to know, the, the Iowa also has one of the most experienced offensive lines in the country as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that'll be helpful Phil, too. According to Phil Steele, they returned 114 career starts. That's amazing. And that will and and like even if the offense, I mean, even if the defense can limit what has historically been a pretty pedestrian Iowa offense, Mm -hmm. they still got to contend with the Hawkeyes defense too, which has you know among others Cooper DeJong, who might be the best cornerback prospect in next year's NFL draft class. Um, You know, first team Big Ten, and they brought in Virginia linebacker Nick Jackson through the transfer portal. So even though they're replacing a lot on that side of the ball, you know, this was still a unit that was, you know, they were number one in defensive SP plus last year, number one in points per drive allowed, number three in available yards percentage allowed. So it would not surprise me if Iowa just do, you know, does what it typically does in non-conference play and just put put the opponent in the sleeper hold. There's and just make news. it the most make it the most painful football watching experience that you will ever have as a fan of a visiting team, which is why I have uh, Utah State win, uh, losing this game. Yeah, they also lose a couple of guys like Jack Campbell is a top ten pick to the Lions. They lose their best receiver mm-hmm. and tight end this past year was a Sam Laporta. Yeah, Sam Laporta too. I didn't see what round he's gone. So it is telling when their top two receivers last year were two both tight ends and Luke Lachey and Sam Laporta. So. I don't expect Utah State to win. I think it'll be, I don't know where, I'm not sure I was at in those early preseason rankings, but I was going to win probably by at least two touchdowns, probably maybe three. But if they get to 30 points, it could be like, again, 30 to six, 30 to 10. It's, it's going to be a tough go for them. And 
Utah State's unfortunately not going to get the victory on this one. So who do they have week two? That would be home versus Idaho State. I can give you the FCS minute if you like. Go for it. They're going to beat the Bengals. They are going to beat the Bengals. I have that one as a W. Uh, The Charlie Ragel era in Pocatello only lasted one year. Uh, ISU went one in 10 last year. But, you know, their new head coach, Cody Hawkins, who, if the name sounds familiar, yes, he is the son of former Boise State head coach Dan Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was the offensive coordinator at UC Davis under his dad last year. But, you know, he's taken over a program that you know, they did a few things, you know, pretty well last year. But one of the things that's really going to be paramount for them in 2023 is, is, is sort of perking up a scoring offense that among FCS teams was 118th in the country. They only averaged 13.7 points per game. So, you know, while they do have a couple of nice defensive pieces, you know, they have at least one reliable running back of Raiden Hunter. You know, they're facing the same question that I'm sure we talked about once or twice very briefly last year. Who's their quarterback going to be? Is it going to be Hunter Hayes? Is it going to be Keegan Thompson or someone else? Long story short, though, Bengals probably still a rebuilding team. Utah State shouldn't have any trouble beating them at home. No, it should be an easy victory. So they'll be they'll start off for me one and one. And then they get the early game at the Air Force, which Conference I guess they swapped both teams. Yes, they switched to Boise State game, I guess, because everybody's tired of Utah or Boise State, the Air Force playing the early conference game. Uh, this comes down to clearly what Air Force can do running the ball against this front seven for Utah State, which is, as we described before, has some experience, but may not be top end talent for the most part outside of like Halei um, Matadopo. Um, I Holly, I apparently I know I butchered that name, but also good for them. We'll get to Air Force more, we won't go too much in depth here. But new quarterback situation, uh, losing top running back in the, in the conference, essentially Jacoby Owens. There's some chances here for Utah State potentially to keep to win this game and hang around, but I I just don't trust Utah State this year. I'm not a big fan of what the Aggies can do, so I think Air Force will do what they normally do. It is good catching them. Early because without a new with a new quarterback in place, their timing may not be as pristine as it could be in say week eight. It's interesting because you know the Aggies have actually gotten the better of the Falcons in each of the last two seasons, including That's on true. the road last year, uh, or excuse me, at home last year. So they're on the road in Colorado Springs, but they won their last trip there. Um, and so I do think that, you know, what's likely to be the tale of this game, we'll talk more about the Falcons in detail later on this summer, defense. You know, I expect that the Falcons are going to have a pretty good defense. I think Utah State is going to have a, a, a maybe a better-than-you-think run defense, if nothing else, mm, yeah. which I do think could make them a particularly tricky matchup, as you mentioned, for an Air Force offense that's having to replace, you know, the nation's leading rusher, and its quarterback. So maybe it comes as a surprise, but I do think that Utah State will be able to pull this one out on the road. Interesting. I have it as lost. I'm sorry, Aggie fans. Now that they get to host the James James Madison, new newly FBS James Madison, which what they were not eligible for a bowl because of stupid transition rules. They're a preseason potential top 25 team, which is crazy to think about. But I guess not the way they played last year. And do they still have um Todd Santeo? Is he still their quarterback out there? No, he uh he moved on. Uh, he moved on. He found a place where he could play. And he did amazing things last year. 
So I don't know if Rams fans are a little bit bitter or whatnot, but the offense is what was pretty good, actually really good for James Madison. And so losing your starting quarterback from last year, not ideal. But it is interesting, like looking at just real quick FPI. Do you want to guess the projected at what FPI says for this game? Uh, I'm gonna. You know what? I'm just. I'm not gonna guess. I'm just gonna let you tell me. Okay, I don't want you to sound like a fool. That's I appreciate. That's a good, <laughs> good call by you. Fifty-two point seven percent for Utah State at home versus James. Interesting. So almost basically a toss-up. Well, what's interesting and, about this matchup, like you know, the, the the Dukes came out swinging in year one at the FBS level. You know, Centeno, of course, was a very big reason for that. But you know, they're also having to replace you know two of their top three rushers as well. Centeno is one of them as the quarterback, but they're also replacing mm-hmm. their leading rusher, um, you know. Percy Aguiar Obesi. But even despite that, you know, you mentioned the offense. I didn't realize how good their defense was last year. So, you know, a quarter, points per drive allowed, they were ninth overall in the country. They were number one in available yards percentage allowed per drive. Number two overall in team sack rate. You just go down the line in some of these more advanced numbers and they're just like, you know, top, you know, they were number one in the country, for example, in average line yards per carry allowed. Um, number one in opportunity rates, preventing uh, teams from getting to the second level on the ground. This was a really good defense that, oh, by the way, also returns a lot of those key pieces. You know, the the, the big name that you're going to want to definitely keep an eye on ahead of the game, uh, you know, defensive lineman James Carpenter, you know, what did he have last year? Five and a half sacks, 11 and a half TFLs on the interior. You know, Taurus Jones, at linebacker, had 10 and a half TFLs and 82 tackles. So that's a unit that still has a ton of talent, which I think, at least for this year, given sort of the uncertainty about how reliable the Aggies are going to be about taking care of the football, it sort of strikes me as a bad matchup overall for them, even at home. So I have James Madison winning this one. It does. James Madison also SP plus has them as the best team in the Sun Belt, better than Coastal, which returns Grayson McCall. So they have mm-hmm. a t- real quick. They're basically a pretty balanced offense, sixty three, defense sixty seven, in SP plus. So that's they're pretty, that's really good for a team outside power conference, most of their conference in the Sun Belt, at least projected. If they can even do that, because they still have the the pesky waivers, which you never know. Um. So that's the thing to look out for where they're pretty balanced both sides of the ball. But I'm going to say going west in this far of a game, I, I think Utah State's going to pull it out. Okay. I think James Madison might have better talents overall, which is weird to say because if you look at recruiting trends and things like that, they've recruited – I don't have them pretty, but pretty – to do what they did at the FCS level, they're recruiting probably better than a handful of FBS teams at the minimum. Mm-hmm. And they and also what what matters a lot. They're used to winning games. Like it, a lot of these guys are still they played in FCS. They're winning games. They're going deep playoff runs. These guys know how to play and win. Coach knows how to play and win. That's all they do is win. And so it's like, why would that change going to FBS level to a conference that's good but not great? And they beat up on, I believe, didn't they beat Virginia last year? I want to say, I forget if they beat one of those teams in state school. Yeah, I have the schedule in front of me. I mean, I'm sure I remember they won double digit games and were really good, and they people were upset they couldn't get to the title game because they started at five and zero. So, at no, it was App State when that was a big one. Right, that was right there. So, I I I just think there's 
I'm just leaving a touch Utah State. But I'm, I think the travel wise and stuff like that, because when you're FCS, you play more regional type games. This may be a weird me rationalizing it, but I just think going west, playing altitude's a thing. I think they're not going to beat Utah State, but it'll be a good, it'll be one of the more interesting games I want to see this year on the schedule. Okay. Then they go to UConn, who Jim Morris says, I want to win a national title at UConn. I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you doing? Okay. Do you hear those comments? <laughs> uh, I had not heard those comments, but uh, okay, you do you. Good for you. Yeah, pat the yeah. back. Good job. Hope, hope everything works out for you. Life is good. This is not UCLA or Washington, pal, or even the Atlanta Falcons where you kind of bungled it too. But this is a UConn team we shouldn't just say, oh, victory no matter what, because they more did, actually did a really good job going to qualifying for bowl game last year. Yeah, and they, a lot of it came on the strength of a defense that was a, maybe a lot better than a lot of people expected that it might be. And yeah, they didn't necessarily play like the most rigid, stringent schedule or anything like that, but they gave Utah State a fight. They beat uh, you know a depleted Fresno State team, um, if you remember that. And a lot of those players on that defense are are back for another round. You know, Jackson Mitchell, who we talked about a little bit last year, he's back and you know, he has you know more established help this time around, you know, defensive end duo of Eric Watts, mm-hmm. Price Yates. You know, that those two had 28 and a half combined TFLs last year and 16 sacks. So mm-hmm. I think where this game is gonna hinge is is sort of the same pivot point that was you know last year is what is the offense going to look like because you know for as good as the defense was at times you know they were still 107th in points per drive on offense 115th in available yards percentage so they still got some work to do on that side of the ball they do have a preseason all-american offensive lineman and christian hayes but they've got an open quarterback competition they brought in joe fignano from maine they return, you know, Taquan Roberson and Zion Turner, both of whom have seen playing time over the last year or two. Mm-hmm. And they have, you know, veteran wide receivers like Cameron Ross back. So I can see this scenario where it's it's just as competitive as it was last year, but I do ultimately see the same result. I do think Utah State should be able to win this one on the road. I don't know. I'm absolutely sure about that. I'm going with the reverse streams. Madison more the travel and just the, the going that type of going across the country. Do we know what the kick time is for this game? Probably not because UConn's still an independent. I don't have that on top of, off the top of my head. Looks like a no. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave UConn because they struggled last year. Jim Moore has this team rolling from what they did what they've done by way, actually winning games from the year, years before. They're a laughing stock. I'm gonna I just. I'm sorry, guys. I don't like Utah State this year that much. I I like their quarterback, but beyond that, um, uh, no, I'm changed. I'm going victory. I can't do it. I cannot do it. Still, okay. UConn, laughable Huskies. Sorry, guys. I'm going with you. Yeah, <laughs> Utah State after the little switcher. I think I was leaning. This game was a tough one to pick just because I don't really think the Aggies would be great, but I'm going with the victory. So they'll be four and one as they head into the full stretch of league play. And then for me, that's where it gets dicey and not good. You and me both. So their next, their schedule is, this is a very difficult, they got Colorado State, but this stretch they have, we have CSU obviously at home, we just mentioned, Fresno State at home, at San Jose State, at San Diego State, okay, Nevada, and then Boise State at home. That, those four games, four or five, or four, um, one, two, three, yeah, four or five, 
after CSU is one of the difficult one in the country. And going, I know, okay, San Jose State, whatever road game, their home field is not ideal. It's not like uh, crazy, I should say. It's like it's not intimidating. But you're not mm-hmm. playing at home. You're playing in one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. Then you're playing San Diego State on the road, which will be a difficult road atmosphere. I have them losing four in a row after UConn. Losing Same. to CSU, losing to Fresno, at San Jose State, at San Diego State. You can listen last week to why we talked more about CSU. I think CSU is winnable. I think Fresno State, Jeff Tedford was outclassed by Anderson, regardless who they have a quarterback and running back and receivers losing transfers, which they did. San Jose State's just more talent overall. San Diego State, same thing. Aztecs, I might put that number two on the list, but it's like a distant, far distant number two they could win. If I'm going in order of games, I would put that number two as winnable, but I'm still not very likely thinking that could happen. I think of that four-game stretch, the most winnable games are at home against CSU and on the road at San Jose. Interesting. Why San Jose over San Diego State? As an easier because team. I do think that you know the Spartans, which again we'll talk about them later in the summer. One of their biggest questions is how effectively are they going to be able to protect Siobhan Cordero? Mm-hmm. And if the Aggies have a respectable pass rush, let's not forget that you know this Utah State team got the better of the Spartans last year, too. And San Jose State is dealing with a lot more questions on defense than they were last year as well. Okay, I can see that. that's fair. I just with San Diego State's running back situation not being great, losing guys on defense a little bit. I just think there's a chance. I like San Jose State better as a better, more complete team. Mm-hmm. And then they have Nevada, Boise, New Mexico. I have them two and one. And I yeah, think I have Nevada as a win, Boise State as a loss, but I have them losing out New Mexico as well. Whoa! What at the Lobos? Well, explain yourself, sir. <laughs> Without giving too much away, I just think New Mexico is going to be improved this year. You're you're holding the flag for the UAB guys coming into town. Long story short, maybe this yes. maybe we can call this a tease. Just say I'm yes. buying New Mexico stock, a little bit of New Mexico stock at least. We do recall you were typically past couple of years. I remember the Hawaii year. You you like ah oh, they're going to be good, really good, and they're quite good a couple of years ago. I think only once you've kind of stumbled on these, like, this is my team to make the big jump. So I'm not, I don't take this lightly that Matt thinks the Mexico is going to be much improved. You mentioned UNLV before in the past, trying to get other teams you mentioned, but I do remember Hawaii specifically a couple of years ago with Todd Graham, like they're watching this team. They're a surprise. So with Matt saying the Mexico could surprise, trust him. Or at least keep an eye on them. Don't, don't sleep on them. We'll talk more about that later. Um, Boise state, Clearly, talent-wise, at the moment's better. Coaching-wise, is better, I believe. At least with Andy Alvarez taking the next step last year to what the Broncos achieved. Um, Nevada, Ken Wilson has a ton to go through. Again, we'll talk more detail about these teams. So you got to listen to those shows as well. But Ken Wilson being a defensive coach, that could be a thing possibly against Utah State, especially if the offensive line doesn't gel, the new running backs can't get things going. There's potential there. And then New Mexico, like they're not going to be worse than last year, I think, in the past couple of years. They won – they were 0 for in conference last year. They're 0 and 6 in 2020. They got to have turned something around, but I still don't think it'll be enough for Utah State to succumb to them on the road in uh, Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. Do you have any bold predictions for Utah State? We'll wrap up on this step. Any kind of, I know we did a prediction show a couple weeks ago. Any kind of bold things you're looking at this year? 
You want to stick your neck out? <sighs> Nothing that immediately comes to mind. I know that sounds like a cop out. That's okay. Oh, I skipped the part. What's your record? I have them five and seven. We should mention that. I have them four and eight overall, two and six in Mountain West play. I thought five and seven was not great. Ah, man. I think if they're going to, we'll get to the projections here. I guess you gave your answer. That's fine. I think if they're going to a bowl game, I think the um, important games, I think, are CSU is a big one. If they're going to a bowl game, that might hinge. Like, that might be the most important game all year to get to six wins. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to steal a game or two in the same way that they did last year. I think James Madison for me is still in a win, kind of. And maybe even UConn. Maybe UConn. No, I think if they're going to do it, it's gonna they're going to have to win road games in conference play. I think Which that's I where you do it. One. You know, Boy, at Air Force, at San Jose State, at San Diego State, at New Mexico. If you can win the majority of those... Majority, which is, which is give doable. me two. Like, give like me two three of those. If you, if you could win like two, if you can go two and two, three and one at least, that puts you in a much better position to get the you know the six wins that you need to secure a bowl bid. I don't know if I necessarily see their ceiling being much higher than that. Like, it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if like if, if some of these sort of like you know 60 40 type games that I see. Um, you know, I, I I penciled them into lose to Colorado State, San Jose State, New Mexico, but they could win all three of those games. All of a sudden, you're talking about a seven and five team that's maybe outperforming yeah, I, expectations, which is is definitely within the realm of possibility. But you know, maybe on in like a scale of one to a hundred, where would you put their their probability of getting to six and six? Oh, man. Mm. I should look at FBI because I know they do that stuff, but I'm not going to. I okay again. Twenty five percent. That's what you think. Higher or lower? Like one in four. Uh, yeah, I'll go about there because I'm trying to think probability wise. Like people say, oh, one in ten, one in eight, it's not that big a deal. That's a pretty big percentage for certain things. I think, yeah, it's a 20, 25 to thirty percent. But I'd also say. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I yeah, their range in between four is four to six wins. If they get a seven wins, they're surprising multiple teams. Okay, well, maybe one last question to send it off into, into the into the evening. Because we mm-hmm. did get a question from, from one of our Twitter followers, Braden T. Clark. Do you see any parallels to the 2021 team? That was Blake Anderson's first year? Yes, the team that won the Mountain West. Besides getting a handful of transfers from Arkansas State, no, I don't. Not really. Do you? I mean, in the sense that you know, even though they lost a ton of players through the transfer portal, they've been very active about you know, sort of casting a very wide net to try and you know make up the difference. Um, I think you know one big difference between that team and this team is they're they're not starting from the same kind of abyss that they were when they went one and five year True. before Anderson's arrival. I think one of the other major differences, yeah, one of the other major differences is is there's a little less recruiting from like the Power Five this time around, and I think there's a much bigger imprint for JUCO contributors. You know, we mentioned like four or five guys, you know, we Javar did, Strong, yeah. Devin Dye, uh, Davon Booth, you know, uh, Keon Sloan. That's four guys right there that could step up and make a difference. 
who came from the from the junior college ranks. And so I do think like their ability to cast a wide net and and find new contributors with that in mind, to me, that seems to be the sort of the, the thread that ties this team to that one. But I will say like it does seem a lot less clear cut, you know, their their path to a potential conference title. I'll say that. Yeah, I I don't see them doing pulling that around. I just don't. Even though one in five, that 2020 year was a million reasons why it was bad. Clearly, there was a yeah. lot. Yeah, well, I mean, go- and Bill, Bill Connolly wrote about this in the offseason, I want to say before 2022, that there were certain things about the championship run that were going to be really hard to replicate. Like, And I think one thing, if memory serves, was like the, the rate of explosive plays that they had in certain situations was going to be really difficult to, to do again. And, and in some ways, they fell off in that regard. And I think a lot of that is related to some of the things we've talked about in this podcast, like the increase in turnovers and things like that. But the good news is those things could just as easily regress in the opposite direction, back toward average, or maybe a little bit better than average. So you never know. I, you know, I, I, I think that Blake Anderson has earned at least a little bit of benefit of the doubt. I might be underselling the Aggies here a little bit. It wouldn't shock me if they ended up making it to a bowl game. But I, I, I'm just sort of waiting and seeing what it, what this team ultimately looks like with just enough questions to give me a little pause. That's why I'm at five and seven. I have yeah. my I have my prediction. It's a bold one. I've I've hinted at it throughout the offseason. Do you have any inkling of what it might be? If you want to get first crack my bold prediction, you have no clue. Okay. Head coach Blake Anderson will not be back next year. And it might be because they do play poorly, or it might be because they do good. Which is kind of a cop-up, but I don't see him being back next year, regardless of how the team finishes. Interesting. All right. Would you like to hear why, maybe? Yes, I would. They have a new eight. Well, first off, they have a new AD in town, right? Mm-hmm. And there's been some chatter of him not being a big fan of the locate of being at Utah State. Because remember, we've had the lawsuit stuff going up against him. Him discussing like um, victim culture type of stuff, where he's kind of I get where he's coming from, but he didn't say it in the best way to relate to the teams. So there's some stuff he probably doesn't want to deal with that have been bugging him, or not bugging him, but kind of. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to the sense of, but kind of non-coaching things that have been on his plate, whether yeah. they have been him shooting himself in the foot or not. And so, I think he's not back, regardless of how they do. I would put, I'd say about uh, well, but about above fifty percent. All right then. And my information of knowing that is very little, but just another just kind of putting stuff together. I think he wants out of town. And I don't think he would be terribly upset if he was four and eight and took a coordinator job somewhere else next year to build back up. Mm. Or he gets seven to five and takes a what job could open? The Cal job because Justin Wilcox finally gets fired or something. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty bold. I'm predicting this in what what's today today? June eleventh, twenty twenty three. So that's where I'm going with the bold prediction. That's probably my boldest of the whole season. So I guess Sorry, we'll I have to wait if, I, if I if I wrote this podcast for you at the end here, yeah. you gotta wait to the, you gotta wait to the end to finish and hear all the stuff. So that's it for this week. MWR.com where you can check out all of our stuff, our written stuff, all of our podcast prior ones. CSU was last last show. Utah State currently, obviously at the moment. Next show TBD will be up to you. 
Um, do we? I'm not completely on the spot. It'll be four new teams this week. It'll be the final. Do you happen to know what four you didn't choose yet, or should we just not say that and we move on? <laughs> to end the yeah, show? Uh, yeah. Let's let's save our our listeners some time. We'll just we'll just mention this. It's the eight we haven't done yet, and then we'll go through and just randomly pick the four we're going to go with. So check our Twitter MWCR so you can vote for what team we want to discuss next. And just keep on trucking. We're here with you. The season's coming in about 12 weeks away, approximately 10 weeks. And yeah, we'll just, um, we'll see you next time and just keep listening. We'll get to your team next folks.